or plant to deal with the issues in terms of funding that could have just kept going for another three months in special sessions. Um, you know, we're very, we're very lucky that he was the lieutenant governor to step in when Governor Stabilis went off to Washington to run HHS. Couldn't agree with you more. I don't know what uh, the trouble was in Wichita, it appears. This was a union situation. Partially, Another, uh, but partially. The, the fact is that we live in a world. Strike. Louisiana <laughs> is desperate for jobs, and they'll and you know beyond. We should be as well. Yeah, but but they're desperate enough that they're willing to sell their souls to make it easy for someone to move. Yeah. Um, now you have to, by the same token, well, Louisiana is a great place to visit. There are so many reasons why it would not be the state I would want to raise my children in, kind of thing. So they can make an economic play. We didn't lose them because Parkinson provided leadership in getting people. Couldn't agree with you more. But you know, it's time that organized labor woke up uh, to the fact that you know everybody that's working now should be pleased to have a job. You know, certainly. Yeah, this is not the time for any machinist local union in Wichita to be threatening a strike. Because we almost lost 7,000 jobs as a result of it. My hat also is off to Governor Parkinson, you know, for retaining these 7,000 jobs. Because, well, like the editorial pointed out today, this was going to have, this was going to reverberate throughout the state of Kansas, you know, to suffer a 7,000 job loss in the state. Well, significant. The fact that the governor stepped in and said these are things that we can offer you job training, uh, some incentives, some other things. Uh, you have to remember that what uh, Hawker Beechcraft was offered, $40 million in cash to relocate other uh, tax incentives. I think it was 10 to 20 years that they were given these uh, sort of a freeway highway uh, for them. Um, I I think, too, that, that the – I don't think that Hawker – and Beechcraft came up and said, okay, we're going to hold you hostage. You have to meet, meet this dollar for dollar or give me a better offer for us to stay. They didn't, they didn't do that. They may have, but behind closed doors. But I, I think they turned around and said, what can you do for us if we do stay? How are you going to take care of my employees? How are you going to take care of my union? How are you going to take care of this business situation? And, again, I, that's where the governor did well. And, and great, I, think it's, I think it's exceptional. A great politician a great leader on the executive side of government has a sense of timing. When is the opportune moment that that person steps in to what may be an ongoing fight or discussion? And repeatedly, in school financing, he broke the logjam on school financing. The first thing he did coming into office was work out the difficulties associated with the power plants out west. Thank um, you. It's that kind of timing leadership. You know, a lot of a lot of being governors standing standing in pictures with a lot of people as they snap a picture <laughs> about this group or that group's here at the Capitol and he gets to speak to groups and there's so many ceremonial things. And what I very much appreciate about Mark Parkinson is he underst has shown that he understands the value of timing and where he can bring full measure of the governor's office to a challenge and bring it for and and resolve that challenge and I think he's done that in several cases any one of which would have made it for a successful governorship in the limited time he's in office and I think we've got three examples uh, that show his success as governor 
Well, I could agree with you more. Absolutely. And the other thing is, I mean, could you ask for a much better governor in the, you know, Kansas is and the the country's worst economic times ever and the man to manage the ship um, through that situation? And I think uh, uh, these examples that are being touted are just those things. He's a man that says we're going to solve a problem. We're not going to play politics. We're going to solve a problem. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a different approach, I think. And I've known Mark Parkinson for, well, 20 years. I served with him in the legislature was, many years Since ago. he was 5'10". Since he was a little guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Back when he was a little guy. You know, since he was just a... Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I didn't think you meant 5'10 by age. I thought you meant <laughs> I did. I did. Just a little bit. He was a little guy. <laughs> but I have been somewhat constructively critical of uh, Mark Parkinson over the years on the show because he abandoned the Republican Party as the state chairman to uh, accept a spot on Kathleen Sebelius's ticket. Well, he has proven to be an effective governor. and Again, my hat's off to him as well. He's done a very, very good job. So we've been fortunate to have Mark Parkinson serving as, uh, as our governor for the past two years. Well, but I think it's that back sort of back history of republicanism that I think has made it somewhat different why he could solve the situation mm-hmm. on the coal plants and a few other yep. things. A lot of people may not like those decisions or whatever, but he's been able to move issues forward, and I think that that's, yeah, that that's very, helpful. very effective. I couldn't agree more. Let's talk about uh, another issue, a hot issue of the week. We have Jim Ogle, WIBW-TV 13, with us this morning, along with Tom Erskine, TV 49, KTKA-TV 49. And we're talking about the top stories of the week, which we do each and every Friday between 9 and 10 o'clock. Let's talk about our petition drive. Hey, they got a lot of numbers. <laughs> Three thousand, well, <laughs> 3,000 signatures over a very, very short uh, time frame. No doubt about it, uh, this is going to be an issue that's going to be placed on the ballot. I'm sure the, smoking, the people who wanted to change the smoking ordinance wish that they had organized that for them because obviously they moved quickly and effectively to get the right coalition together to get the signatures they needed. Yeah. I hope the eventual outcome of all of this is two years down the road, we once and for all defeat Vic Miller and get him out of public <laughs> life. It's time for him to be gone. It's time. He's done so much harm to this community. Yet another case. And, folks, to, to run through what happened on this uh, $2,100,000 that the county retained, uh, this basically was just, again, sticking the needle in the eye of the city of Topeka. Vic Miller was complaining on how the city was spending its money. Well, Vic Miller is not a city elected official. It shouldn't concern him one way or the other what the city's doing with the money, rightfully or wrongfully. Vic Miller, of course, uh, when Vic makes a motion, he's going to have an automatic second coming from Ted Ensley. So pretty much cut and dried that this was going to be a situation where the county was going to wrongfully retain $2.1 million of the city of Topeka's money. But what really irritates me about this, at the commission meeting when this ha- happened, Shelley Buehler went for three hours, a three-hour period where she was making motion after motion on how to trim government spending at the county level. Mm-hmm. Some of, A lot of uh, her motions were, uh, frankly, very, very good ones. Very responsible ideas on how to trim the cost of county government that wasn't going to really have a big impact on anybody. But an attempt was made to hold the line on spending. For three hours, Vic Miller sat there, refused to second any of Shelley Buehler's motions, which also, of course, meant that Ted Inslee wasn't going to do anything without Vic's okay. 
three hours, an attempt was made to hold the line on spending at the county level. Mm -hmm. Nobody seconded it. Shelley Bueller. Finally, she caved in. Immediately after they had the unanimous vote on this $2.1 million, they adjourned the county commission meeting because they had come up with a way to show that there was going to be no mill levy increase at the county level. None. Zero. And from two of our three county commissioners, no attempt whatsoever to hold the line on government spending anywhere. It was just Vic Miller one more time sticking the needle in the eye of somebody rather than attempting to be a responsible public servant. I am just, I've had a belly full of Vic Miller. It's time for him to go. But now we've created another problem. Because now we're going to have a special election that's going to pit the city against the county mm -hmm. once again. And there's, there's no need for this. A, this election is going to cost the county, Shawnee County, $150,000 of taxpayer money is going to be held. or is going to, it's, That's what it's going to cost the taxpayers of Shawnee County, $150,000 gone. That's 7% of the money that we're fighting over is going to be burned up in a special election. Our county commission could have solved that problem and chose not to if they would have acted three meetings ago, knowing full well this petition drive was going to be successful. They could have had this issue placed on the November the 2nd ballot at no cost to the taxpayers. None of our three county commissioners made the motion to do that. So whatever happens to this $2.1 million, 7% of it's gone. It's going to be burned up because of the cost of a special election. For the next three months, we're going to have negative headlines in the Topeka Capital Journal. We're going to have negative stories coming out of KTKA. We're going to have negative <laughs> stories coming out of WIBW-TV. Well, let's just say we'll have once stories. Again, we'll have the truth. We'll have... <laughs> which is going to be negative, because once again, we're going to showcase the fact that we, in this county have demonstrated once again the inability of our city government and our county government to work together. It's a disgrace. Well, I, I'm Jim, through. You're I, through. You're through. <laughs> uh, I, was, I wish you had some sense of passion about this issue. Oh, yes, really. You Instead of sitting here on the fence. You know, uh, trying to eke, you know, eke something out of us. Um, the, the thing I will remind you, and you and I have talked about this before, is that since the get-go, uh, with this fuels tax money, uh, Vic Miller has made no bones about the fact that he was going to keep the money uh, that was due the city or, you know, allotted for the city. Um, and he made no bones about the fact as it got closer to this uh, special, I mean, it was a scheduled meeting, but this particular uh, county commission meeting that you're talking about, but he was not going to vote for anything that it, if it did not include the holding of the sales tax for Shawnee County. He made that clear, and so, you know, maybe Shelley Bueller, with all of her attempts to try and guide something, could have turned around and said, well, you know, we know you're not going to do it, so I don't have to waste three hours of my time. We can do something else. Um, After that motion of Shelley Bueller to cave in to Vic Miller, yeah. They still had time that they could have brought up some of Shelley's earlier motions. They, they, they could have, but and that's, Miller that's chose not to do that yeah. either. He well, chose to basically we've we balanced the books. 
No mail in and levy increase. Let's go home. Right. I, so I don't want never the, revisited. Right, but I don't want Shawnee County and Topeka to forget that part of the problem of this money, the reason this money exists, is because the state bungled it at the front end. This is this is state fuels tax money that is to uh, proportionally be reallocated to the counties and the cities around the state, and uh, they bungled the formula. Uh, and held the money up for a period of time. Uh, that took a long time for them to get it out of the state into the county's hands, which is the next stop in the funnel. It stopped here. And now the voices of uh, Topeka and Shawnee County are going to be heard. Okay. Uh, Tom no Erskine, Jim Ogle, why? Shawnee County commissioners, all three of them, knew fully well that they had an opportunity knowing this petition drive was going to be successful. I don't think there was any doubt in anybody's mind that this wasn't going to be successful. Right. Why didn't we have a motion from any one of these three individuals to have this issue placed on the November the 2nd ballot? That would have, at the very least, saved the taxpayers $150,000. No attempt whatsoever was made to do that. And that's $150,000. That's 7% of the money that we're, we're arguing about. Mm -hmm. That's significant. Well, $10,000 to a city is significant. I mean, $10,000 to a little city is significant. I don't, I'm not quite sure why it's going to cost us a, a exactly 150000 specifically for this issue when we're going to have a March election anyway um, in this uh, county and city, and it ha it's going to be there anyway. And it's not, well, it's not city, like but not county. And that's, well, that's true. And that's the difference. Yeah, that, They I have to roll right. out I'm for sorry. the entire county, and, and, and unfortunately, that's where it is. And, um, I, you know, if you, got, if you ever find ways to postpone your visit to the dentist, because you do have a little but not a big <laughs> toothache, and you keep wanting... You don't want to face the inevitability of the situation. You you find oh I've got a meeting then oh I'll just push you back a few more weeks and <laughs> I think and it may be that that this is inevitable Jim but it doesn't mean that it uh, that they're going to jump to it with gusto. Uh, you're right. Uh, it's going to cost us more money to do it this way. Um, the results either way mean that. Uh, Either the the city has to restructure its work plan because the county made it do, do so, or the county has to change its budget because the voters made them do so. So someone's going to get to change along the way in all this. Yeah, we've got, by the way, uh, coming on the show Monday, Dave Heinemann's coming on, a former legislator, and uh, he's a spokesperson for this petition group, and we're going to spend an hour visiting with David Heinemann at 9 o'clock Monday morning. But, but, but again, I, I would like to bring up one of my, my favorite windmill tilts, and that is, but I think we abs this is money well spent. It is money well spent because I want to see citizens have the ability to propose or to reject the works of their elected bodies through initiative and referendum. And this is effectively a very narrow place in our, in our government where we have that opportunity to do it, but it ought to be bigger. And if we have to spend money to hold elections to get everybody to say, no, you're wrong, stop it, or by God, you're right, do it again, then I'm all for it. That's some of the best money we can spend. 
How should we vote? I live in the county, and I'm not looking at saving tax dollars, so to speak. I'm just looking that, again, I am 100% opposed to what Vic Miller has done to this county as a result of this issue. But now that it's done, right now I'm inclined to vote no on the petition because everybody's got their budgets in place for the next year. You know, the city's, the $2.1 million is gone. You know, we've approved their budget going into the next year without the $2.1 million. The county, they needed this $2.1 million because they made no attempt to hold the line on spending at any level. They needed that $2.1 million in order to balance their books so we could show a zero mill levy increase. Aren't we going to muddy the waters even more by now undoing all of this? You betcha. You doggone betcha. And we're that's a good thing? It. And it's a good thing because we're going to hold the process accountable. First off, you're not functionally voting to hold that money for just this year. You're effectively giving them permission to do it going forward. And I think that's wrong. So you're talking about 2.1 adding up over the next nine years. And the, whole, and, the, and the justification that Vic Miller gave for this was... Well, the city got itself a brand new football and has all that extra money, and I didn't get a football, so I'm not going to let them have my football. That's right. They got their half-cent sales tax. And and for him, I, I, I was so disappointed that a man who has again and again shown some interest in investment and fixing things in the community, his support of the sales tax for all the road projects across the county that are we're about 70, 75% of the way through it right now, who had that kind of thing to use this as a tool to get out of the problem he's supposed to solve inside the county, I say we, don't, we tell him, no, you don't get to do that. And we tell him very clearly in this vote, you're setting something up that lasts for years, not just this year. And the fact is, is, is when governments face shortfalls, they have to adapt their budgets. Those budgets aren't written in stone in the same way that people do. And if that means they get to meet for an extra 20 hours to figure out how to solve this, then I'm happy to bring them donuts and coffee to help speed the journey. Again, one of my concerns over the next three to four months is going to be, again, the adverse publicity. It's going to portray us that live outside the city as the bad guys again. None of us asked for this fight. None of us wanted to be involved in this fight. It was wrong from the get-go. And that's what concerns me about the negative press that we're going to get because of the inability of these two governing bodies to get along. And the rich, the rich people in Shawnee <laughs> County outside the city of Topeka once again are stifling progress. I can just envision some of the reader comments on CG Online, some of the comments we're going to see you know, on uh, TV 49, TV 13 sites as well. This... The outcome can't be good. There is no good outcome well, as a result of this. I, I don't think that, that's, that, that we're, anybody's arguing that point, but I do think that uh, Jim's view is exactly right in that you can't create something that's going to have year after year after year effect that's wrong to begin with. So you can't be one year sighted, visioned about this and seeing it only as this particular 2.1 million has to go to the city because of budget problems and or budget problems for the county whatever this is an issue that has ramifications far down the highway 
from whence the money came. Fig Miller gave his ration, his rationale was this wasn't because we were in a rich year and this was a matter of principle. I actually think that's a good argument to have. But it was I need the money. I don't want to make any more cuts, so I'm going to take that money from from you. Well, that's great. I wish we all had that. You know, excuse me, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I, get my wallet I, I have a lunch today. I want to go to. Give me back. Give me ten. State law allows me to take twenty from right. you. Well, that's give nice. it to me now. <laughs> you know, if I if I had a pocket full of folding money, I wouldn't have asked you to give to turn right. over the money. But I did, and that's what I think the commissioner has done in this in this case in order to solve the problem for the county's budget. And I think that we all uh, have had, you know, if we look back, uh, there are questions about how the treasurer's office is run. There are the questions about how everybody approved those payments to our former district attorney without ever providing due diligence to the process and how much money we lost on that. I find it hard to believe there weren't other things to cut to get to this for taking money that actually right. we know will go to infrastructure repair. Jim Ogle, you mentioned uh, the county treasurer. I'm going to get on my soapbox because this is another issue that's going to be on the November the 2nd ballot, folks. They got that one on, didn't they? Uh, yes, they did. They well, sure did. But they well, didn't they started six months earlier. Right. <laughs> but they didn't address the real problem. And here's the real problem, you know, with county treasurers in the state, and I'd love to see TV 13, TV 49 at some point in time editorialize on this. Here's the problem, whether you vote November the 2nd to uh, retain our current method of electing county treasurers or whether you think the county commission could do a better job of it, folks, you'll have to make that decision. But we haven't addressed the nut of the problem. What we're going to have November the 2nd is an election. Any defeated incumbent will be gone the following January. Sixty days later, so. that defeated incumbent is gone with the exception of county treasures in our 105 counties in Kansas. If we defeat, think about it, folks, there's only really two reasons why you should ever defeat an incumbent county treasurer, Republican or Democrat, politics, partisan politics ought to stay out of it. The only two reasons you would ever defeat somebody that currently is serving as your county treasurer would be, A, incompetence, B, dishonesty. There is no C reason out there to get rid of an incumbent county treasurer. Now, if you're defeating an incumbent because of A, incompetence, or B, dishonesty, why in God's name would we allow that defeated county treasurer to hang around for the next 11 months? And that's the law we have on the books in the state of Kansas. If there is any goofy, insane law we've got on the books, this has got to be the poster child. And I've had, I don't know how many legislators have been on this show, sitting where you guys are right now, that I bring this issue up. They've all said the same thing. You know, you're right. This makes no sense. I'm going to go back to the Capitol, and I'm going to straighten this out. Well, it hasn't been straightened out. It's still on the books, and it makes no sense. See, we need, a, we need a treasurer to <coughs> somehow run off with a million dollars, and that will finally raise it to a level to be acted upon. It, you're right. It makes no sense, mm -hmm. and it's it's harder to change something like this than uh, designate a state rock or something <laughs> like that. So, you're so, so consequently, right. in, you're unless so you've right. got something that's abused, in fact, 
we'll clean it up after the fact, not before the fact. Yeah. And I agree with you completely. Uh, if that is the course of action, you know, you kind of appreciate what the Brits and the parliamentary governments do. You lose that election that night, your your family's out on the street, and they walk in the building that day, and they take over government. You know, it's all yours. you're done. Bye <laughs> bye. Thank you. Side here. And uh, you know, we take such a long period of time to transition. Three months, right? Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but this treasure situation, it just makes no sense. No. There is not a logical argument to retain our current system. So, Larry Wilson, you know, I'm not going to bag on Larry one way or the other, but whatever happens, November the 2nd, our county treasurer is not up for re-election until 2012. Mm -hmm. Larry Wilson will continue to be our county treasurer until October of 2013, regardless of what happens Election Day 2010. Yep. In Shawnee County, uh, it, it's crazy. It's a remarkable <laughs> world, isn't it, Jim? <laughs> well, it, it certainly is. And am I wrong? But I, the county commission really doesn't have. They can't say yay or nay. We don't like this guy. We want somebody different. Because but what they could have done? Well, I've had two of our county commissioners, right, by the governor. One I refuse to have on the show, but I've had our other two commissioners on the show, and I've asked them both to go back to a county commission meeting, and at least pass a resolution in support of changing the state law, mm -hmm. just to get the ball rolling mm -hmm. to where somebody is going to pay attention, thinking this possibly is a potentially serious issue, and it just hasn't happened at any level. I think and the other the other thing that is bizarre in terms of office like that for our state is that there is no legally defined mechanism associated with filling an open position for lieutenant governor. It's we've all accepted that the governor comes out uh the smoke comes up like at the Vatican, and they point at the person who's he's selected, or she selected along the way if an opening occurs during the term. And, you know, if we are a government of laws and not of men, as we like to talk about, one of the extraordinary things about the United States has been that fundamentally we have been a government of laws and not of men. It's just amazing to me that we have this little hole in our Constitution that doesn't deal with any of that and in the legal authority is someone to be that there it's all about hey I, I picked them and that and you're there I mean maybe maybe one of the ways we could make some money is we could raffle that sucker off to the highest bidder well somebody tried to do that in Illinois didn't they well they've what done they that <laughs> <laughs> see see sometimes the land of Lincoln is ahead on yeah. at least when it comes to money God bless Wago hey let's come back to this uh county treasurer situation, if we could, because it is going to be on an issue that's going to be on our November the 2nd ballot. Mm -hmm. TV 13, TV 49, anybody taking an editorial stand on whether to appoint, whether to elect a county treasurer on a scale of 1 to 10, how important of an issue is this to Tom Erskine, Jim Logel? Well, Jim, let me jump in for just a second. We're, we're in the throes of, uh, of uh, transition at our station at 49 and so to ask if we're going to have editorial opinion probably not for a while and that's just because of the way the station's grouped and heading um, does it mean that once it's resolved and issues are done that we won't 
pick up a mantle or pick up a flag and say, come behind us. Uh, news coverage-wise, we'll follow it as we have been doing since the beginning and uh, report as the stories develop and require reporting or we feel require reporting um, and go from there. Okay, uh, now, Tom Erskine, let's take off your TV 49 hat for the okay. present. Tom Erskine's opinion. Right. That important of an issue? Is it an issue that you have any passion about one way or the other? I have a passion about the fact that I want people to control their government, and I don't want government officials appointed. I don't want jobs appointed. I don't want... It's not that there shouldn't be a green value in the sense of I supported a, a particular candidate, and therefore there's a reward in it for me in some form, be it job or whatever. Uh, but I don't... People should be able to control their government and direct it any which way they want to. Sometimes they elect a Democratic governor, but they elect a Republican House and Senate. Sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes uh, it's all in one. It's sort of a mix mash, and it's how people feel at the time. Tea Party's doing real great out east. Uh, I can't think of the woman's name right now that I want to say. But now she's starting to fall by the wayside just because of all of the stuff that's been brought up about her. So we'll see. O'Donnell, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, O'Donnell, thank I, I you. probably would, would agree with, with the principle, but then would come at it 180 degrees differently for, for this reason. Um, the treasurer's office isn't a political office. There isn't a philosophy on how you should add up the books. There isn't a philosophy, a, a, a governing philosophy associated with all the technical things they do. And I would point to what Jim said. There really are only two reasons to get rid of a treasurer, incompetency or malfeasance, okay? And so for that reason, that's a technical job of which standards, and they should be able to be hired or fired at any time by the people who are doing it. And that's why I don't like it as an elected office. Any office that is fundamentally technical versus supervisory of policy, I think ought to be, we ought to hire the best professional through a process, and I think that, you know, there's ample reason to look at this office and the challenges it's had in, in waiting three and a half years do you hold, how, before you can hold Larry Wilson accountable for not balancing his checkbook for a year. Yes, but if you're not going to allow the commission to hire or fire the person, then you might as well vote for him. No, that's what uh, uh, I, I, I would go that far. I would go that far that... This is a technical administrative office that ought to be hired under the commission. Okay. Oh, yes. Is that Jim Ogle's yes. opinion, or are you speaking on behalf of TV13? Are we going to be looking at editorial comment uh, editorial comment on this, where TV13 is going to, going to be taking a, I don't think that a public stand on it? I, I, I'm happy to share my opinion. I don't think that it's an important enough issue we tend to only do editorials and run spot campaigns when things really affect everyone and yeah. and not for every little reason um, uh, along the way. So I'm probably not going to editorialize on it. I'm happy to offer my opinion in this forum and others. But I think that uh, there are bigger issues that affect this community more that we ought to get behind and than this.
Yeah. And it's uh, yet another issue. Frankly, I'm undecided on how I'm going to vote November the 2nd. And uh, the reason's pretty obvious, I guess. I'm just uncomfortable with our current county leadership, our elected leaders at the county level. And I'm not sure I want to turn anything more over to them than we've already turned over. You know, if we had responsible representation at the county level, then I think I would be inclined uh, with with Jim Ogle, frankly, Tom, to well, that's, that's, look at this as yeah. an appointee uh, rather than an elected because it is a cl it's a clerical job. You know, it's, we're not talking about a policy making position. So, but I'm right now I'm just very uncomfortable with our county leadership. But that's partly and why we're at this juncture and discussing this anyway, is because somebody on the commission decided they didn't like the way it was going, um, and they may have had some good reasons as to why they liked it and didn't like it. But it's not like this is a, it's a different person who's in the office uh, because of appointment and um, the uh, situation remains that if the county liked the individual, whether the person was exceptional or not at being a treasurer, we wouldn't be here discussing the issue to begin with anyway. I mean, Thank so you. I just... Unless somebody else has got a real hot issue to bring up, you want to talk about downtown Topeka? Uh, I-70, reconfiguration, the whole nine yards. The mayor was on the show Monday. And we've got a unique situation shaping up in Topeka, Kansas, folks. We've got the mayor, who I've got a great deal of respect for, other than the fact that he voted for that crazy cat-catching ordinance. But... Uh, <laughs> Give him but, three passes a year. <laughs> <laughs> that one was a puzzler. Believe you me. But uh, we've got the mayor of the city, Bill Bunton, who I've got a tremendous amount of respect for, basically that is saying no to virtually everything that our Kansas Department of Transportation is proposing concerning the reconfiguration of I-70. And I'm not so sure that I don't agree with uh, the mayor on this, over the past 50 years, since we reconfigured I-70, or since they built the viaduct, we've had four accidents around the northeast turn on I-70. The big hairpin. Yeah, the hairpin turn. At uh, over 50 years, seven trucks have overturned, all seven of which were speeding. Why not spend $500 on a speed limit sign? And B, get a highway patrolman out there to give a few tickets that's going to pay for the $500 it costs to put up the sign and well, save well, the I taxpayers would, $250 I would point out to million. you that hanging on this bridge just outside of the CJ is the first of the flashing lights triggered that says you're going too fast for the curve coming up. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the sign that says 45 miles ahead. But th there's a larger issue at, pl at play. It, traffic engineers you, have a tendency to live in their own world. And one of the mantras of their own little world about is that they know how to do things and everybody else is stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. I, If you remember, Linda Voss told, uh, made the statement about 17th the, and the 17th and uh, the roundabout there. I don't know why I have to talk to these people. I'm the only one who knows how to design a traffic <laughs> circle. Uh, the approach to this has been the same, and I've participated in a lot of these meetings. They're, they have they, The Department of Transportation has misrepresented public sentiment as it's expressed to them in n numerous meetings. There is a strong group of people, of which I am one, that a large group of people who want them to at least give us information on a below-ground option 
so that we don't have a giant barrier standing up in our community. We just visited Oklahoma City, as you mentioned. They forced their Department of Transportation to do a below-ground option in moving Interstate 40 that's going through Oklahoma City. They knew they had to because chunks of their viaduct were falling off like our Topeka Boulevard Bridge was falling off at the time. So they know they've got to do something. Well, they forced public sentiment, forced them below ground because of the things you get in terms of view and vista associated with it. And that's why I support that. But I got even more mad because the Department of Transportation approached it like Henry Ford in the old, uh, you know, the Model T. You can have it any color you want as long as it's black. Black. <laughs> and their approach in talking to people was, we have all these options, but only smart people are picking option one. Well, Jim Ogle, I know your passion, you know, for downtown redevelopment. My concern is, and correct me if I'm wrong, and the mayor and I talked about the very same thing Monday, that isn't it time that we slow down a little on downtown redevelopment until we know definitively what our Department of Transportation is going to do concerning I-70. How can we make definitive plans on what's going to be best for downtown Topeka, not knowing where the ingresses, egresses are going to be, you know, as far as your entrances into downtown Topeka. We know nothing right now. And this train seems to be moving pretty rapidly down the track mm -hmm. as far as downtown redevelopment. But you've got to be able to get to downtown Topeka. Uh, none, none, shouldn't none, we none of the approaches include having no exits in downtown Topeka. But they all but have different exits plans, They have correct? different exits, but the important thing is so much of the stuff that is happening right now and the energy to downtown. Hmm. If, you were on the, if you were on the avenue last night, you would have found no parking spaces between 6th and 10th until you got to the 3 in the corner. Why? Because of a citizen effort that set up this Top Cities Thursdays thing where stores are staying open late, restaurants are staying open late, and the like. There are a lot of things happening downtown that will not change based on where the exits are. Now, it's still a hundred-year scar, and that's why I say it's important. What we do with this lasts a hundred years, probably, and will define things. I want a below ground, and I want a really broad discussion about it. It will only make things better about some of the plans, but we won't change whether or not we develop Van Buren as a pedestrian mall for a park, it won't change whether or not where any of the exits are along the way. I think the difference here the, at issue is, is, is the only goal of this to see how easily we can run people through town, or is it do we do something that has the minimal impact for us to do everything around town? We can exit people so they can exit onto Kansas Avenue to Topeka Boulevard and the exits here, and we can do it below ground. Other communities have. It's going to cost more money than it would cost to do it separately. But I would, I'm willing, I'm willing to spend more money over 100 years. That, they've thrown out the number $20 million at one point to go underground. Well, that's, you know, half a million dollars, less than half a million dollars a year over the lifespan of the project. I think that that's worthwhile for what we'll get in terms of VISTA and development. Tom Erskine. Yeah, my view of uh, your city and view of how people passing by your city I think is extremely important. And I think that um, what you have in I-70 is just a 
get me through here as fast as you can and get me out of here as fast as you can. Um, but that's also sort of the reason for having a four-lane highway through anything. Um, I, I'm not sure about underground, above ground, whatever. Um, I am highly interested in underground only because um, there is a uh, issue of uh, constant uh, maintenance that you have to do with your bridges, whether you make it a flat ground, drive through I-70 and build bridges over it to sections of Topeka either side, or you do it underground and it's just roads over. I think that that's a little less maintenance issue. So I, I, I'm unclear yet. I, I don't think the changing of the city is, or the changing of I-70 will affect the city, whether people stop, uh, whether people come here, whether uh, the exits are because they're one more. It's not 8th Street anymore. It's, you know. 12th Street or yeah, Ten, something. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that'll, I don't think that that will harm or hurt the city as much, or will have that kind of desired negative effect. But I should point out the Department of Transportation started with the premise that when they were doing construction here, they were going to put signs out at the East Topeka Interchange, and th literally, this is quoting from a meeting. He said, "We'll put up a sign that says construction ahead, take 470, do not enter." would have been their approach. <laughs> now, there's a difference between giving people the information there is a construction project and telling them to avoid it. That would do harm to the city. And they were, and literally, they were shocked when they said, you're going to tell people to drive around? Oh, my God. Do you know the effect that that would have? Bingo. You know, the consultant, Jim, I know you've attended all these meetings. I know TV 49, I certainly covered them as well. This consultant that recently came in from North Carolina, I believe the most recent out-state consultant. Right. Basically, if I understood his remarks correctly, basically what he was saying was, where's the problem? Downtown Topeka is architecturally beautiful. It's clean. It's neat. I don't really understand why I'm here. It's kind of what I read into his remarks. You know, that do we need to spend a lot of money on downtown Topeka as far as changing, you know, the, the whole scope of downtown Topeka? That, I don't think it's... But that's ugly. what we're... That's what we're de I think we've got a, a physically attractive downtown Topeka. But that's what we're defining in this process. And we're having more than just a few people either meeting at the chamber boardroom or the DTI boardroom or a few people who own bigger parts of property, more than them are getting to talk about this and offer their ideas. The thing that was so extraordinary, I want you to think, think about this. Uh, earlier this week, 105 people showed up for the one at the Ramada. At 10.15, it started at 5. At 10.15, 52 of them were still there. I mean, think about that. Yeah. In terms of the passion, and they were representative of a divergent amount differences of of, of of age, economic background, race. I mean, we need more people to participate in processes like this, not less, and let those processes define and answer the questions you just asked. Is there a common thread, you know, through these 105 people, 50 that were left five hours later, is there a common thread as far as the physical appearance of downtown? Everybody pretty much in agreement now? 
that we really don't have. A, we've got a few no, empty storefronts, but I don't think that architecturally do we need to change the looks of downtown Topeka. Well, I think you're going to be forced to change. You and I may be talking differently about what architecture means in regards to the look of downtown. You have an I-70 project. You have a potential on Kansas Avenue project. You have a park that you're still talking about along the river somewhere. Um, you have a number of issues of egress between uh, East Topeka and uh, Topeka itself, the, the downtown area that's always sort of been out there and, and under question. Um, I think that you're going to be forced to make a number of decisions and you might as well have these kind of discussions to bring all of these things into play uh, so that people understand, well, while we're changing I-70, can't we do something a little bit with the river that makes it easier to get to the river or away from the river or should we be doing this at all or whatever? And I think the discussion has to be far broader than even I think we're discussing at this time because I think the whole town is going to be affected by the things that are being proposed even at this moment. I think if you, w you would see some of the ideas that people came up for, they were at best fanciful, okay? <laughs> um, um, they wanted a lazy river stream thing running from around the capital down, going down the hill down to the river, <laughs> kind of an, in, uh, an urban water park. Uh -huh. And a number of European and two American cities are actually doing that. They have those mm -hmm. kind of things that are drawing people in. So people like the idea and everything like that. I don't know that I'm that keen to the idea, <laughs> mind you. But what I am, I am about this community coming together and dreaming big dreams together and then investing in our quality of life together and not have a decision made by someone behind one closed door or another that has the impact. And so this is why this process, I think, is so important. Never forget that uh, the $150,000 funding this process to bring these people in was all raised by private donations. I would submit that government is a part of the problem of doing anything responsible about downtown, not part of the solution. The only way to make them part of the solution is that at the end of the day, the people tell government, this is what we want after going through a process like this, so step up to the bar. Instead of letting government do it from behind the scenes and getting some of the disa disastrous results we've seen. I just stepped up to the bar about a week and a half ago at the office, 8th and Jackson in downtown for the dueling pianos. So I have been to Individual downtown. people are making some uh, extraordinary investments in, in downtown. Look, yeah. look, Bosco's is opened as a restaurant. Blue Planet Cafe is just ab above here. There's the a new jazz. jazz club that's going to go in. I know of three other developers who are looking at spaces right now to open other restaurants in the like downtown. There's an energy, and part of the energy for them was, all of them have said this, the energy for them was that people were actually focusing on it, they've seen the public interest in it, and they think they can make a go of their business on there. That's without any of us spending any tax dollars now. And I do think it comes down to one small thing, and that is that it's an exciting time for Topeka. We are in the throes. We're coming out of... The session is slowly as we are, but I think that you sit back and you look at it and you go, this is a time that I could have an effect on a city for a long-term effect. We are out of time. Tom Erskine, what's coming up on TV 49? More news. Come and join us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't there this morning. I came here, so I don't know exactly what we've got planned. <laughs>
I'll find out shortly. Jim Ogle, TV 13. The Kansas City Chiefs play the Indianapolis Colts, the only undefeated team in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs, this coming Sunday, we hope you and 60% of the rest of the people of northeast Kansas will join us. <laughs> Good to see both of you. Thank you, sir. Okay. Good to be here. Coming up Monday, by the way, on the show, Tim Richer. He's going to be with us Monday morning at 8 o'clock, as he is each and every Monday at 9 o'clock. David Heinemann's coming in, and we're going to be talking about this upcoming petition drive. So it uh, should be interesting. Folks, there's uh, just a lot of tentacles uh, as a result of this petition drive. I don't know. I'm an undecided voter. Don't know what I'm going to do, along with, I'm sure, several of you. So you want to make sure that you tune in Monday at 9. Dave Jackson on deck. Stay tuned. PJOnline.com has been upgraded, and it's an entirely new way for you to experience your community. More than ever, CJOnline.com has what you need when you need it. As your morning starts, CJOnline.com is updated with overnight news, weather, and the morning buzz. Throughout the day, they bring you developing stories, interaction, and commentary. In the evening, they recap the day in news and sports and feature their local bloggers. Experience local news and sports at CJOnline.com. Your 24-7 Northeast Kansas news connection. Topeka Collegiate, Topeka's only independent school, treats every child as gifted. Each student is encouraged to excel in a caring, small class learning environment guided by humanitarian principles. At Topeka Collegiate, children fall in love with learning. Enrollment is limited. Call 228-0490 or visit our website at topekacollegiate.org. Topeka Collegiate School. Educating children for life. Excuse me, why are you saving those old eyeglasses? You know the ones, stuck away in the desk drawer, haven't been worn in years. Yeah, those. You should donate them to your local Lions Club. Lions Clubs have been collecting used eyeglasses for years. They'll take your old eyeglasses and recycle them for Lions Club for information on where you can donate your old eyeglasses. Lions Clubs International. We serve. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. We're back with Jim Cates at CJOnline.com, your source for live Internet news, opinion, interviews, and conversation in Topeka. Here's Jim. All right, we're back. Well, that was a great hour, last hour, with uh, Jim Ogle and Tom Erskine. Two good ones. TV 13, TV 49. Good morning, Dave Jackson. Good morning. How are you doing this fine morning? Well, I've got my eyes open. We uh, went to the game last night, of course, and... uh, uh, it was as, as I had predicted, an NU route. I said that going in and uh, was vindicated with my prediction. Was that a record? Uh, there was nothing in the paper that I read this morning. Was that a record-setting crowd last night because they were selling seats uh, on the berm yeah. for $75 a pop? Mm-hmm. Did they set a record, an attendance record last night? No. Uh-uh. Really? Well, the attendance record is somewhere around 54500 Uh the, I think they only had 51,300 or something. It was in the paper or something. Okay, well, there was nothing about, you know, them setting a record. 
last night. I know that... Uh, I don't believe they did, but uh, it was a exciting atmosphere. And, uh, you know, when exciting. Nebraska took the field. Yes. Booze, loud booze, was it that much different than when oh, a, yeah. a normal opposing team takes the field? Uh, it, uh, no, really not, uh, not that much different at all uh, when the Nebraska team took the field. The the intensity of the of the crowd noise, at least until Nebraska took us clear out of the game, was way higher. You know, as they were trying to execute their offense and, yeah. and that kind of stuff, the the noise level was up a couple of notches from where it usually is. But uh, that quickly got quieted down uh, when Nebraska took us out of the game pretty pretty early. Well, I watched it on TV. Martinez. You talk about somebody that's got a future NFL career ahead of him. My Lord, for a freshman, phenomenal. He is. Phenomenal. Well, that's what I'd heard. I knew K-State oh. didn't have the speed to contain anything like that, and their game plan didn't. evidently didn't include him popping out over the end and just running running wild down the sidelines. I mean, he scored four, right? Yeah. Four touchdowns. This was a freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. And quick. Mm-hmm. You could tell this guy as far as athleticism. Oh, yeah, it was, he was a man, top drawer. A man among boys when he was running against K-State's defense. Top drawer. If our mm-hmm. parents just emailed you, mm-hmm. it says. Terrence well, stopped says, by last night. At did the, he? At the, yeah. Well, good. It says, Jim and Dave, what happened? Where did they send the K-State football team? I ask this because I know that they did not play in Manhattan last night. <laughs> Whoever that was only scored 13 points. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's what I that's what I felt their talent level was all along. Cape Manhattan, K State. Yeah. They didn't play up or down from where they normally play. They're just not very good. Yeah. I haven't seen a. They have not impressed me the whole year. I told you last week they're the worst four and team in the nation, <laughs> and I, they proved it last night. Well, yeah, because they weren't ranked as a four and team, mm-hmm. and we're getting very very few votes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. right. Um, Evidently, people have been seeing what I've been seeing. Yeah. Which was nothing impressive. They're well coached. They don't do a lot of stupid stuff, but they're not. You know, their talent pool is is still yeah. uh, recuperating from the the Prince uh, days, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, to their credit, the guys have bought into Snyder's system, but they they need to move forward a little bit. I mean, he's got to do a better job recruiting. Mr. Yeah. Snyder does. Well, as far as in-state recruiting, you know, a lot's going to hinge on next week's big game. Mm-hmm. And again, national TV again next Thursday night. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Key State rank uh, you know, manage this, but for two consecutive Thursdays, right? K State's going to have another national audience, right? And that, of course, is the KU K State game. Mm-hmm. Biggie, as far as in-state recruiting goes, it is yeah. uh, probably. I mean, a lot of these kids have made up their mind before, but before they go, but there'd be a, uh, some of the blue chippers would be on the fence. Mm-hmm. Just seeing what the systems look like running different uh, ways. I, uh, I think it'll be a good game. Uh, I think KU and K-State are about level on talent. Do you really? Yeah, you I think, do. You think uh, K-State's sunk to that level? Oh, well, really? <laughs> KU is not that bad. <laughs> their talent level, they're not that bad. Uh, just they're, I question their game prep. Um basically the two times they got blown out yeah turner gill you know i certainly had his success and buffalo took over uh, a buffalo team that was at the bottom of the heap and brought him to mid heap 
But Buffalo, how can you recruit anybody to go to Buffalo for any reason? You know, Niagara guys, Falls? Huh? Niagara Falls? Well, I suppose. I suppose. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't imagine. But Turner Gill, I think, has shown some abilities recruiting and for some success at Buffalo. They had uh, one year, I think, they were conference champions. Would they? Did they got that well? Yeah, I think so. So, and again, we're talking Buffalo, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. So, Turner Gill, everything I've read about him, you know, trying to turn his football team into A, uh, good football players, B, productive citizens. Mm -hmm. As far as establishing a team that's got a lot of character, the whole nine yards, I've got a lot of admiration and respect for what he's attempting to do. Now, whether he's going to be successful or not. Well, again, he's a first-year coach, and it's a whole different mindset, the way this is. This system's being run, and yeah. you got to get the guys to buy into it every time. Yeah. Just as far as public image, mm -hmm. you know, we've got two class acts that are going to be taking the field mm -hmm. next Thursday. Because Turner Gill is a class act as far as... Oh, yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, moral values, you know, and, and the, attempting to instill those values in these players. Bill Snyder, certainly a class act. So, If K-State blows, uh, blows him away next Thursday night, what do you think of his chances for future uh, employment with... Uh, KU. I don't think they're going to do anything uh, drastic, you know, the first year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be back for year number two. But year number two, you better start winning some games. And next year it gets a whole lot tougher. Well, they won tougher. some games already. Yeah, they've won a couple. Yeah. But next year it gets a whole lot tougher, as mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Because next year you don't have the cupcake non-conference schedules that we've all become accustomed to. Right. Because next year, you know, we get into this uh, playing everybody in the Conference. Big 12, which is going to have 10 teams. Right. The Big 10 has is going to have 12, 12 teams. Right. Neither conference is going to change their name, apparently. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Go figure. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, All let's right. talk about uh, Lawn and Gardens. It's going to be, going to be another beautiful weekend. Yeah, we uh, with this beautiful weather, we've extended the time that it's uh, that you can still do your overseeding, your lawns, and all of that. Um, so it's uh, it's a great time. I mean, you just uh, we bought an extra week that we didn't have last year for for uh, time to overseed your lawn, fertilize, get it <clears throat> looking good this fall and next year. I had a lot of people come in and tell me that uh, how great their lawns look now. That that actually went to the trouble to put the seed and fertilizer down. They look they say they look like green carpet. It's dark green and beautiful. So, I mean, that's that's the uh, really we've we've received another week. It seems of great weather mm -hmm. to get some things done. Plant perennials uh, uh, a little bit for whatever you might have lost or um, in the heat, the drought, that kind of stuff. Tree planting time, just fantastic time to plant trees um, with the. Uh, uh, warm soil temperatures yet you'll get all this root development this year instead of next year uh, having to water all summer long that you'll have a tree that's got a root system developed you'll get more growth way more growth next year if you plant it this fall and of course the prices have never been better uh, well on this overseeding because as you say we've gotten another uh, week under our belts of wonderful weather and another week to come to mm -hmm. where the weather looks like it's going to be equally as beautiful. Soil temperatures will be great. But that's about it, isn't it? In yeah, other probably. Words, yeah, we're, we're, you better have your overseeding done by this time next Friday mm -hmm. or then it's going to be too late. 
yeah, what can happen uh, is even though this the uh, soil might be warm enough to germinate the seed and have it germinate and come up, you get uncomfortable with the fact that we, you can blow in a, an Arctic front can come through and the temperatures, as they have in some years, can drop into the 20s, uh, which then would freeze newly emerged um, seedling, grass seedlings. They are, are tender at that point. They have that particular time when they don't have enough root, they don't have enough top, they'll freeze. I mean, grass is tough. But there's that point where they're, it's really vulnerable, and that's why we shut it off on October 15th. Because you want to have enough time mm -hmm. for, for the seedling to develop and get a root system that it won't be uh, completely shocked by a, a Halloween surprise. And we've, we've had, uh, in, in the not-too-distant past, we've had four or five inches of, of ice and snow on Halloween. Remember that? Indeed I do. Yeah. So you need to get out and buy your seed now. Now, tri-power seed sells for how much a pound? Uh, well, if you're only buying one pound, it's a dollar ninety-nine. If you're buying fifty pounds, it's it's a uh, dollar nine a pound. You know, uh, is what it sells for. So you get a significant discount if you need fifty pounds. Yeah, if you need uh, to overseed a thousand square foot lawn. Mm-hmm. How many pounds of tri-power seed do you need? Two to three. Hardly anything. Three pounds, two and a half, three pounds per thousand square feet. That's it. Really? So that's all you need. I mean, you, you don't need to buy big quantities, and we have, we'll sack you up whatever you want. We have it in, uh, my staff has sacked it up in ones, fives, tens, and twenty fives. It just comes in fifties because this is a commercial sports turf. I mean, that it's a tough turf that germinates like crazy. It's not a it's not a retail turf uh, like Revolution or any of those other brands. It's it's for the professional, and people just love it. All right, you can get the Tri-Power seed, both locations. Both locations. 61st and Fairlawn or 1933 Lower Silver Lake Road. Correct. We've used Tri-Power last year and have had good luck with it. It's as you say, it's virtually weed-free. It is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definite definite advantage. But we have been hit and part of our front yard with brown spot. Brown patch? Brown patch. Yeah. Now, when, again, can you treat for brown patch? And what we're talking about, folks, this was just a massive kill. In fact, it actually hit one of our um, bushes mm -hmm. as well. I thought it just attacked grass. Well, it does. You've got something different on your bush. but That is something different. That it is good. something different. It's, it's Brown patch is specific to... Uh, to fescue, but there's a plethora of other funguses that, that would look similar, but uh, your bushes are uh, dicotyledons, uh, where grass is a monocot. Funguses don't, uh, are differentiated between grasses and, and broadleaves. But they both died about the same time. Mm -hmm. Just and one bush has got to be 20 years old. No kidding. What kind was it? I don't know. <laughs> the leaves turn red in the... Burning bush? You lost a burning I bush. I think it was a burning bush, yes. If it, the leaves turn red in the fall, yeah, it's a burning bush. Yeah. Beautiful bush. Used mm -hmm. to be. 90% uh, of the leaves are now gone off of it, so I'm not sure that it will rebound. It Still could. has a few leaves. Well, you scratch the bark. If the bark scratches green with your thumbnail underneath, it's coming back. But you could have, uh, uh, it could have over, uh, killed out with that heat. You could have dropped a lot of leaves if you didn't get it to... Uh, 
watered. We did because it because it was spoiled from all the moisture coming up to the tenth of July. It had abundance of moisture, so it put on more foliage than it could support with the root system that it had uh, because the plant had grown lazy. Okay, yeah, we did nothing as far as watering in August, assuming that in the next two or three days the temperatures are going to get back down into mm-hmm. the low 90s, and it's going to rain eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it did, did. eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but brown patch, when do you treat for brown patch? Brown now? patch you treat for uh, when this con- if you've had it, you know you're going to have it again if the conditions arise. And the conditions arise beginning usually... Uh, or can arise when in late May when we would get an extended period of uh, moist uh, weather, especially where you're getting some rains in the evening or late afternoon or evening, and the nighttime temperatures remain above 70 or 75 degrees, then you've got this condition prevalent where you've got uh, the spores of the fungus will just pl- proliferate under those conditions. So don't do anything as far as treating it until no. next May? Uh-uh. Right. Nothing to put on it now. Nothing to put on it now. Nothing you can do at this point. But when the, when we you get when you begin to get three days of the weather that I've just described, just as well get that spray on and get it protected. With funguses it's always good to have your protectant in place before the outbreak of the disease. And then you won't see it. During the middle the, of a three-day rain, is mm-hmm, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That's the time to take care of it. After you've had three days of, of that kind of weather, you know it's coming. That's the time. It's difficult to, to convince people to spend $15, $20 on a product that they don't see that they don't see the damage yet. But you got to know that it's it's there because it was there last year. It's going to be there in the following year. So once you treat it the following year, does that take care of it permanently? Well, it can, but it kind of kind of sort of depends on what your neighbor's doing as well. If they don't treat, those spores uh, will be airborne and, and can drift back into your yard. So anyway, lots to talk about. Oh, yeah. Jim.Cates at cjonline.com if you've got a question or a comment for Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. We'll be back. Stay tuned. A lot more to come. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? 
Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers top-of-the-line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, L.A. Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foydenhaus, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Foss line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. We do this each and every Friday, nine, uh, 10 to 11. Yep. We talk about lawn and garden issues. Okay. And I'm getting some of my issues knocked out. One more. One I more. Need to talk about. Okay. And folks, we want to your emails as well. We just got an email from an old friend of yours that's not listening today, but uh, da, 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 da. he is emailing us about uh, something political. Uh-oh. And uh, and his endorsement letter, Mark Gilstrap. Really? Yeah. Former state senator from Wyandotte County. Mark's been a guest on the show. Great guy. Several several occasions. I like Mark. Oh, I do too. We uh, I got along really well with a number of the Democrats over there, just not so much with uh, uh, Anthony Hensley. The rest of the folks really didn't have much of a problem with. On the Democrat side, and would would detract their votes from time to time. Well, he's endorsing pretty much the full slate of Republican candidates running this year. Well, good. And uh, special recognition for Chris Kobach, which I appreciate. You know, sure, Chris, Chris Kobach, sharp. by the way, is living in Wyandotte County. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Moved to Wyandotte County, living out in the Baser area. Mm-hmm. Wyandotte County is just exploding. Just oh, yeah. absolutely amazing. Well, as you know. Mm-hmm. Because you were over there last weekend for the Kansas Speedway. Yeah, we uh, we rented plants for the v, couple of the VIP tents, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I was over there a week ago Thursday delivering them, and then uh, picked them up. Then Sunday after the race started, then you can drive in and pick up your plants and, and miss all the traffic. What are we looking at? You're not drinking coffee this morning. Uh, well, I, we had friends stay over with us uh, that came into the game, and I uh, drank three or four. Three or four cups this morning already. Ah, okay. Because normally, normally I'll drink you're some. You're loading of your up on coffee with me. Excellent yeah. coffee. And I'll we'll maybe load up some here in the yeah. second half of the show. <laughs> anyway, 
You started. You had another. Thing We've on got you. some ornamental grass uh, that's grown. Good night. It must be five foot tall, and it's got you know the seeds at the top mm-hmm. and what have you. I want to cut it down now. Yeah. Why? Well, it's kind of overtaking uh, right in front of the house, right oh. next to our front door. It might and be in the wrong spot. Yeah. Well, it, we're going to move it uh, in the fall in the next spring. Yeah. We're going to move it next spring, not right. now. Yeah. In, okay. in the spring. But Nancy says I can't cut it until I clear it with you because she's convinced that since we haven't had a frost and since all of the plumes, seeds, plumes, they're called plumes. Okay. Yeah, and without a frost, she said that could do some permanent damage to this ornamental grass. And it's gotten to the point it's just kind of overtaken everything. Mm-hmm. It's no longer attractive. It's too big. Mm-hmm. But she won't let me cut it back until I talk to you about it. When can I do that? As soon as it freezes. Freezes. Not frost, but freezes. So I can't cut it back until then. It'll do. What will happen? <clears throat> what, what if I did? What's going to happen? Okay, what will happen if you cut it back hard right now all the way to the ground? You can cut the plumes off because that's the seed heads come out and that part has is gone dormant. The seed is processing now or would be if it was viable seed. But if you cut it to the ground right now, then it's going to spring up and grow lush new growth. And if we get a, a, a weather event where the temperature drops substantially and dramatically into the 20s, lower 20s, upper teens, that'll all be frozen. And what what you have is... A plant thinking it was spring, you've told that plant it's spring and time to grow when you cut it off. Time to get going again, plant. It will respond and grow, and you've got a plant that will have used up its reserves, putting out the new growth and then been frozen again without a chance to replenish reserves to the root system. Okay, so really you shouldn't cut cut those plants back until you have a hard freeze. Right, and that's the soonest. Typically... If the plant is properly placed and everything, you're supposed to enjoy the plumage and the line, the line in your landscape all winter long and cut it in the spring, early March. Yeah. This thing's just gotten too big. And Sounds like it yeah. was misplaced. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much so, too close to the front door and it's just, yeah. So when it freezes, uh, which probably be the end of uh, uh, October or early November, when we get a good hard freeze and none of the plume none of the foliage is any longer green then you can cut it back without damage then in the spring next spring early march that's the time to go in and dig it out chop it up and make three or four of them out of it and put your row of them along the side of your property how deep of a root system how deep do you have to go and this is i think just typical ornamental grass about a foot on on an ornamental grass it's a five foot tall a foot's deep enough okay Okay, so go down, a, go down a foot, and then you can separate it. Yeah, just take your spade and just chop it. You know, you can chop it. Probably something like that, you could chop six or eight pieces out of that and replant it. Oh, okay, okay. Make a row somewhere. <laughs> you have a place? Huh? Well, we've got a place for it. In fact, well, this burning bush that we think is dying or dead. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about just moving it over there to the corner of there the you house go. to replace that burning bush, mm-hmm. which would well, be could, fine. You could move half of it over there and put the other half somewhere else, too. Yeah. But don't do it in the fall. No. No, no, no. That would, that would kill it. That would. It may well, not. Wouldn't do it wouldn't do it any good. Your, your chances, given your level of care in the winter and interest in water and plants, is not good. Okay. <clears throat> so, 
wait until spring. But do it in early March, you say? Yeah, early March is normally the time that you're going to see that's, um, that it's, it's going to start to, it'll be dormant and just ahead of it, it's shooting new growth. If you can okay. beat, beat that new growth, that'd be the time to do it. Okay. <clears throat> All right. We will do that. Okay. Uh, cutting it back a little bit. Right now, uh, yeah, because a lot of it's just uh, hanging over like the. You can take the you can take the plumes off. Okay. You can take the plumes off, and you could probably take six or eight inches of, of green foliage off without triggering that response. Okay. Of new growth. All right. Okay. That would help. All okay. Right. Yeah, you can do that. Very good. Jim.kate.set. CJOnline.com. If you've got a question uh, pertaining to lawns and gardens, that's why we're here each and every Friday. Yeah. Has this been an unusual year for ornamental grass as well, as far as just an unusual growth year? Well, they got all of that uh, moisture in the, in the early stages of their growth, just when they needed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's uh, excellent size and plumage out there right now on, on a lot of your ornamental grasses. They've gotten a little extra uh, growth this year, seems to me, just driving around and looking at grasses. They're a little bit more robust this year than uh, some years. Yeah, last a lot year more was, robust yeah. in our yard. Yeah, last year was so cool um, that uh, all summer long that it it didn't grow at the same speed. They had plenty of moisture, mm -hmm. but growth was slower because the temperatures were on on average. I'd have to say it was ten degrees cooler last summer than this past summer. Mhm. Mm mhm. In August. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at your air conditioning bill in August compared to last year. It was. Scary. <laughs> Almost double the kilowatt hours. Well, of course, West Stars had a rate increase or two over the past year. Uh, $150 million worth of rate increases, I believe. Mm -hmm. We had David Springy on the show not too long ago with uh, the Citizens Utility Ratepayers Board. And uh, the rate increases, it's pretty much become a rubber stamp, unfortunately, the Corporation Commission for West Star rate increases. Yeah, they bought the seats, I guess. I don't know. It, it I don't I've been to one of those hearings, and it, it didn't appear to me that these guys were interested in holding West Star's feet to the fire anymore. No, no. Uh-uh. doesn't seem to be a real checks and balance system anymore, but mm. maybe that'll change with uh, a changing of the guard. Hopefully. We're going to have a new governor, and uh, from all the polling information, certainly it appears that Senator Brownback is going to be the new governor for the state of Kansas. One can hope. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Dave Jackson, I was looking at your ad, and uh, the Jackson's ad, folks, if you're new to the show, uh, in the Capital Journal, each and every Wednesday, it's a half a page ad, runs vertical. Homegrown pumpkins. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember, did we talk about pumpkins last year as far as you selling pumpkins? I don't remember having a conversation about Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center carrying pumpkins. Now, we're not talking, folks, about the pumpkin seeds to where you can grow your own. Of course, right. we have talked about that. Sure, or plants. Yeah. We sell the plants, but we... Uh, I don't remember us <coughs> discussing. We have a couple of market gardeners that we grow their uh, plants for, and uh, and then uh, on the flip side, then we buy their uh, buy their product. Uh, it's locally grown and, and uh, sell it. We're not... Uh, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not going to have the huge pumpkin display and all of that other kind of stuff that everybody else has. But it's, it's a, it's a convenience uh, factor. We're going to have uh, a decent selection of pumpkins to s select from, as well as the corn, the 
corn stalks that we went out and harvested before the combine got there and uh, wrapped them up. Bundles of corn, shucks, and, and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Just fall decoration kind of stuff. Try to keep it around. I do need to... <clears throat> we only have 30 or 40 on hand right now. I need to go out and get another 100 or so from uh, one of our other growers. 30 was all my, my nearest grower had. Now I'll go to Meriden and pick up maybe another 100. Okay, pumpkins as far as growing pumpkins. Let's get into the growing season for pumpkins. Uh-huh. You need to have the seeds in the ground when? With pumpkins, if you're if you're targeting uh, mid-October as your as your interest date, in other words, for Halloween pumpkins, seed needs to be in the ground no later than June 15th. If, however, you're going for the uh, uh, record pumpkin, which was uh, down at the Kansas State Fair, 768 pounds this year, then you need to have started way sooner, uh, back in uh, the 1st of May or, or, or even a bit sooner, and use a hot cap and promote lots of early growth. So if you're going to sell pumpkins commercially, for you're getting them in the ground mid-June. As late as mid-June. Sometime between Memorial and Father's Day is a, is your, if you go by holidays, of when you should be planting. First two weeks of June. Mm-hmm. Get it. Mm-hmm. Get in the ground. And it depends a little bit on the variety you select. And also, if you're selling pie pumpkins, there's no reason you can't go to the farmer's market with pumpkins in September and, and have them earlier. But 90% of the pumpkin crop is merely for decorations uh, for Halloween. And so you want to target. 90 tens to break down. Well, around here it is, yeah. Huh. 90% are used for decoration, 10% actually a food product. I don't even know if the 10% is right anymore because there's so very few people that, that use that pumpkin for the pie-filling product for pumpkin pie. Good night. Well. <laughs> had no idea. It's yeah. It's changed through the years, of course. So if you're growing pumpkins to sell commercially, you're growing pumpkins basically to sell around Halloween. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, pie manufacturer out there that's buying truckloads of pumpkins from you uh, for pie filling. Well, not in this area. Now, if uh, if you're in an area where there is a plant, of course, that that's what they're going to be growing. Where do pumpkins normally grow? You can grow them in Kansas. I know we've talked about it before, sure but... The primary growing state for pumpkins, if you were growing pumpkins commercially, that are going to end up in somebody's pie. That's an awfully good question. It would be in a spot that would uh, have low relative humidity because pumpkins are a, a magnet for powdery mildew and, and other funguses when when we've got high humidity here. So your your inputs for the crop here are much greater. So I'm I'm thinking if if they have if I was going to be a pumpkin grower. It would probably be in uh, either California or Colorado in that area uh, where the season's long enough to grow pumpkins, not at, not at elevation, but where the humidity's low. And, of course, the availability of water is key. And, of course, eastern Colorado has a bit of an issue right now with, with uh, the restrictions on the water that they can take out of the Arkansas River. Uh, due to our the Kansas Suenum, of course, for our water rights for that river, mm-hmm. that same river. So, honestly, I don't know where they are produced. I don't know where the where the canned pumpkin comes from. But 
but certainly that would be where they, you know, where there would be thousands of acres grown of pumpkins for that particular processor. Okay. Pumpkins, uh, if you're growing pumpkins uh, for commercial purposes in or around Shawnee County, how labor-intensive are pumpkins? As far as once you get that seed in the ground, now you've planted your seed June the 15th or the first two weeks of June, then what? As far as it being a labor-intensive, potentially what could be a commercial crop? Uh, on the commercial scale, if you prepped your, your soil and have the weed preventer in there, we need to take another break, I know. If you've, if you've, if you've put your weed preventer stuff in there so that you're not out there having to hoe all of that stuff, then... Um, your next trick, or uh, if you're growing them, is is then a, a weekly or every 10 day spraying for a insecticide and um, fungus. So you do you do a spraying um, about every 10 days or two weeks or something with it, with the two sprays in one batch. You tank mix your spray and take care of that. I mean that's if you were doing it commercial mm -hmm. to get top quality pumpkins and, and promote your, your uh, growth. You'd have your fertilizer down as well when you planted them in terms of a, a short-term and a, and a long-term release fertilizer so that you wouldn't have to uh, fertilize through the season. What type of soil would be best Pum for pumpkin? Claw Valley or Oakland soil is best for pumpkins, but you can grow pumpkins on virtually anywhere, but uh, yeah. a sandy loam uh, okay. is best uh, right. for pumpkins. 768 pounds. Mm -hmm. oh, God's name could you create a 768-pound pumpkin? Well, what, wow. you, what you do is, uh, like I said, get it started early, and then uh, as soon as the first pumpkin is set on that vine, then eliminate all others, uh, de-bloom everything else that comes after that. So that that plant has to focus on that one uh, pumpkin, and of course you buy the variety, Connecticut Giant or something that's going to uh, genetically be appropriate for that growing size. How big would a 700-pound pumpkin be? The size of this desk? Uh, the, the desk you're pointing at's about a is is that a four by eight or is that a four three by six or what I'm is gonna it? I'm going to say three by six. It's going to be about half the size of this desk. Good night. Wow. Amazing. Yes. What's the world record? This was the Kansas record for this 760 year. For this year. Pounds. Yeah. Um, I believe, I don't remember for sure, but as I recall, it, it nears a ton. Really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dave Jackson, Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center, jim.cates at cjonline.com. If you've got a question or a comment, stay tuned. More to come. Jackson's Greenhouse, your plant shopping center. Let Jackson put a big smile on your home. Landscape planning and design, we listen and we take the time. We're professionals and we're out to make it known. We're your plant shopping center all the way. Jackson's Greenhouse has what you need today. Residential or commercial, we're at your service. Landscape to lawn supplies that you like best. From roses, flowers, shrubs, and trees to everything your garden needs. Jackson says just come in, be our guest. Jackson's Greenhouse, your lawn and garden place. 
We're your plant shopping center all the way. At Jackson's Greenhouse, we're out to make your day. Hi, I'm Richard Roundtree. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yes, you heard me right. Men get breast cancer too, and men need just as much help understanding what their doctors tell them as women do. But where do you go to get that kind of help? Go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the Internet that helps you understand the kind of cancer you have, your treatment options, and all the big words your doctor uses. Breastcancer.org is the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Eyewear Unique is a fun, upscale optical shop located in Topeka. They may be in mid-America, but their frame selection is world-class. The expert staff will help you into your first really awesome pair of high-quality eyewear. Their designer frame selection will hold its own against the finest shops in New York or L.A. Eyewear Unique is not just another optical shop. They are truly new and different. They are not interested in selling you a pair of glasses. They are interested in selling you eyeglasses for the rest of your life. Your face is a work of art, and it deserves a great frame. Eyewear Unique offers time. Top of the line designer frames with names like Etnia, Barcelona, Lunor, Robert Mark, LA Eyeworks, Bevel Specs, Foyden House, Oliver Peoples, Ray-Ban, and Oakley, just to name a few. The frames run from stylish and affordable $90 eyewear to the extraordinary Fossa Frost line. Located at 4008 Southwest Huntoon Street in Topeka or visit them on the web at eyewearuniquetopeka.com. Take your face to the next level. Eyewear Unique. Eyewear for life. This is Risa with Lauer Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. We are not just your heating and air conditioning experts. We also can take care of any of your plumbing needs, including sewers and backflow preventers. So call us now at 357-5123. Welcome back to Jim Cates at cjonline.com. Our phone lines are now open at 295-1150 or email jim at jim.cates at cjonline.com. Here's Jim. Okay, we are back. There hey, we Jackson, are. Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center. Looking at the computer there. Looking at cool. the real clear politics site. I'll mm-hmm. tell you, this is a this is a goodie. It is. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. Well, it shows that uh, there is no doubt, unless something really goes amiss, the Republicans are going to take control of the House. Well, no doubt about that. And the uh, unemployment the report is uh, unemployment is up again this month. Uh, went to right nine point six. From 9.5, so our recovery is modest at best. <laughs> jobless recovery. I don't understand what a jobless recovery is. I'm not What's sure. What's a jobless recovery? Those that How can still you recover with <laughs> double-digit unemployment? Those that have a job are trying to make up for those that don't, I guess, and buying some stuff. You know, that ratio is now 52-48. Working adult Americans, 52% of us are supporting 48% of adult Americans that don't work. Oh, my. 52-48. Now, again, you got a lot of retirees, mm-hmm. like me. You know, I'm getting ready to retire in the mm-hmm. not-too-distant future. Really? Yeah. I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. But, you know, aging baby boomers, and that number's going to increase. But, you know, when you've got 52 working Americans to support 48 non-Americans, 52-48 ratio, not a real healthy ratio. No, it's not. No, it isn't. Hey, let's take a look at some of the specials that we can find at Jackson's Greenhouse this weekend. We have them. Some uh, trees, 
we've uh, moved to 33% off on all of our trees, shades trees and ornamental trees. I should say fruit trees are still 25% off, and then we still have the special group in one corner of the parking lot that are 40% off. Nice trees, nice trees uh, that I got at a uh, nursery clearance deal. And then our Charlie Brown trees that are 75% off in the far corner over by the waterfall. Mm -hmm. We've got some trees and shrubs over there that are um, just need a home. Either they don't have an identification tag on them or they've just gotten too tall, scraggly, maybe bent, something like that. Still make nice trees through time. Just something. If you've got an acreage or something, two or three acres, and want to plant some shade down along the uh, back back half of the uh, property or something out there where it doesn't where you're not planting a specimen tree and don't need it right away it's time I mean that these would be trees that would be beautiful for uh, your grandkids for, for example if you were had a nice house you'd have some really nice trees generational trees so anyway then both locations both locations yeah okay Dutch Dutch bulbs are in uh, it's still a little bit early yet to plant them. I mean, if you've got soil warm enough to plant grass seed, then you don't have soil cool enough to plant bulbs. That's kind of a rule of thumb. The two don't overlap. Because if you plant bulbs now, your bulbs are likely to come on up. And that's not a good thing. Because if the bulbs come up, mm -hmm. then the freeze will then have the propensity to kill the bulb flower that's usually in the top of that growth. So you don't really want to see much in the way of uh, top growth on bulbs at, yet at this point. So I'd hold off. Uh, okay. And start, when would you start planting bulbs? Well, so after, hold off. right, after. Don't want to do it this weekend. Right. After average daytime, daytime, nighttime temperatures are below 50 degrees and get that soil temperature down um, into the 50s where you still get great root development on the bulb, but you don't have that top growth uh, propensity. Uh, that comes with warm soil, so that's what you want. You're okay. trying to establish a, a root system with your bulbs in the fall, then so that you have great top growth next spring. Okay. Homegrown mums, of course, we still have about a thousand left, and they are huge this year. My gosh, our our seven-inch mum pot's got a, a mum on it that's uh, larger, way larger than a basketball this year. I mean, it's they're huge, and they're still really still six ninety-nine, and then. Then our uh, eight eight ninety nine mums that are in a nine inch pot look like uh, beach balls. I mean they're just huge. So it's uh, del uh, the heat delayed the blooms this year some, and so they went ahead and got bigger, and then put their blooms on now this fall, and they just look incredibly large. Good night. Uh huh. Now they're for sale this weekend. Oh yeah, all the time. Both prices again. What six ninety nine. You, unless you're buying ten or more, then they're five ninety nine, and and then the jumbo ones are eight ninety nine, uh, ten or more seven ninety nine, and then we have uh, if you're going to put one on a in a pot in a decorative pot, we have our decorative potted ones that are in a ten inch pot. They're even larger, and they're nineteen ninety nine, and they're I mean they're just huge. Probably can't get yeah. up on the porch. Put the plant up on the board. You had to walk around it. You had something rather unique advertised in the um, your ad this Wednesday. I did. Yes. Well, squirrel food. How many people are trying to attract squirrels? 
particular property? Oh, not that many, but those that are uh, really need to feed them squirrel corn. The theory is, of course, if you feed them the squirrel corn, they'll stay out of your bird food as mm. much. And so they don't spend as much time trying to destroy your bird feeders if you feed them the corn. But they're not going to spread the word that, hey, we found a good place to eat. Well, the family will stay. Come over and join us, huh? The family will stay. I mean, once you've got a family of squirrels, they're not going to leave as long as there's something to eat. You're going to have that whole family uh, for the rest of your life. We're about to get an answer to one of our questions, by the way. Good night. What? You're going to love this one. Terrence, he's been on the Internet. He is. All right. Uh, the largest pumpkin ever grown. Yes. The world record holder. It was grown in Jackson Township, Ohio, somewhere in Ohio. Yeah. October the third, two thousand nine. Take a wild guess. Last year. Yeah. Maybe. Octo 30, October of two thousand nine. Thirty-two hundred pounds. Well, seventeen hundred. Oh, seventeen hundred. I said it was close to a ton. Yeah. I, yeah, you were right. It is close to a ton. I thought maybe we got something a lot bigger, but yeah. But so that's twice the size of the record we, the record holder in Kansas uh -huh. last year. Yeah. More than twice the size. This year's record holder that was at the state yeah. fair this year yeah good night 1725 pounds and just last year that guy knew knew what he was doing i'd like to wow i'd like to meet him interview him find out christy harp i'm not sure whether christy's male or female so you might be meeting her rather than him ah so, yeah you might want to take a net along with you mm -hmm. just to make sure that you're and in Ohio, I wouldn't have expected Ohio, really. Yeah, because like you were saying, you know, California probably would be the state to where most of your commercial pumpkins are going to be grown. Mm -hmm. Why Ohio? But, well, that's where your hobbyists would be, yeah. for one. Because Ohio's, you're going to have a lot of humidity. Mm -hmm. You're talking about somebody that apparently spent a lot of time as far as tender, loving care with that, that 1,700 was, pound That was pumpkin. their project. That was their project that summer. The uh, interesting, we uh, I would have thought maybe it would have been in one of the, Alaska. They grow huge pumpkins up there because the days are so long. Hmm. But their season's a little shorter. That's the trouble, the backup. But the days are long because they're further north. I didn't think about that. Well, yeah, we went to the state fair up there one year, and the you know the pumpkins were lined up, and they were all about the height of your desk. But, but good night. What would be a good crop in Alaska? I, I never thought about that, the fact that your days are so long. Cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, those are great uh, because... There's, they need there's, cool weather. They need cool weather, long days, and they just, you know, the cabbages will be a bushel basket size. That really? Kind of stuff, but, but, yeah. So uh, that's where we get a lot of our commercial cabbages. Probably not. Probably not. Because of shipping costs? Well, that... Transportation costs? Uh, shipping yeah, shipping costs, transportation costs, uh, uh, the fact that the uh, labor costs in Alaska are so much higher. Yeah. So all of those kinds of things. You're not oh. going to have the migrant farmer. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, that would make sense. It's uh, kind of the reason Hawaii is no longer much of an agricultural state because the, you know, the socialist state has made hiring people really expensive. And you can't pay a farm worker the average salary in Hawaii, which is around $17 an hour just for starting labor. You can't afford that and, yeah. grow, <laughs> and grow crops. So, 
Well, that would be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, you know, Hawaii is definitely where socialism is run, run amok. <laughs> well, minimum wage, you know, we've talked about it on so many occasions on the show. Uh, there's no reason to increase minimum wage. All it does, minimum wage was designed every time you increase minimum wage, simply to put more money into government's pocket mm-hmm. because it pushes everybody into a higher tax bracket right. and creates more revenue for government. Right. It still is going to be a relative wage, whatever you establish your quote-unquote minimum wage at. Mm-hmm. It's an entry-level, unskilled labor wage. Right. You know, once somebody learns how to turn on their French fryer and they're showing up for work every day on time, chances are in two or three months if they're starting out at a fast food franchise... They're not going to be making minimum wage for very long. Mm-hmm. Because once they show value to their employer, then their wages increase. Right. Exactly right. Just pure mm-hmm. <laughs> economics 101. Right. And if they don't, I mean, then you either, either don't want them there or you're going to, you're going to, they're, I don't know. Well, you know, they for don't. the past 30 years, Dave Jackson, polling in America consistently, and the percentages haven't changed 5% in 30 years. If you were to poll the average American, the average Topekan on the street, whether raising the minimum wage was a good idea or a bad idea, is it going to help reduce poverty? 70% of Americans say, say, yes, we need to increase our minimum wage, we need to reduce poverty. Absolutely stupid. Absolutely. There's no connection there. I mean, you just spend 30 seconds thinking about the economics. Well, and the... Why? Right. Yeah. The whys. The... 30 seconds worth of thought could change Mm -hmm. the majority of Americans' opinions. Right. We don't give anything 30 seconds worth of thought, apparently, anymore. Evidently not. But it's scary that 70% of Americans... Well, it is. I, uh, for, for my practice, I used to hire high school kids. But at seven twenty-five an hour, I'm not not going to hire them. Mm-hmm. There's no point. They're not worth it in my business. Mm-hmm. Now, they might be worth it flipping burgers uh, because they can get that money. They can turn that over, but I can't mm-hmm. uh, because uh, two things: the high school kids no longer have a natural work ethic, and whole nine yards. It's and and they're not worth it even if they did because they know nothing. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we're uh, well on our way to, to I don't know what, socialism, I guess. We're well on our way to closing out this show. We don't have a lot of time left. No. A few more minutes on the specials, which didn't quite get through. The special on our grass seeds, eighty nine ninety nine for a 50-pound bag of grass seed and 10,000 square feet of new lawn starter. That's a $40 savings from last year's prices. The fruit trees I mentioned are 25% off. All of them. We have a new shipment that's out in the middle of the middle of the parking lot, and then uh, we talked about. We didn't talk about. We talked about now being a great time to plant perennials. The other reason is is they're twenty five percent off. All perennials are twenty five percent off, so uh, people can move in and uh, <coughs> renovate their perennial beds for a lot less money than now. Secret coupon in the ad. Only the secret coupon people bringing it in get twenty five percent off. On our statuary and pots and everything, we've got to, good grief. Uh, and then fall garden, fall gardeners, we've got to 40% off on our burpee seed for people yeah. that want to save for next year. Yeah. So. Now, burpee seed, 40% off. Mm-hmm. 
That includes what? All of our... Everything. All of our burpee seed that's packaged seed. We buy the rack, so we have it. We still keep it there because there's a lot of gardeners. Most most seed racks go back to the manufacturer in May or June. We buy our rack, and that seed's good all the way through. And that's what we do. Yeah. Give okay. people an opportunity to save money. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Dave Jackson, but let's go through it one more time. If you're buying packaged seed, mm-hmm. how long are those seeds good for? Depends on the variety, but uh, at least two years, at least two years in the package. And the ones that are least viable after the second year would be lettuce and uh, uh, that smaller lightweight seed tends to pick up some moisture and lose viability quicker than anything else. Uh, Some of the seeds are good for five, six years. Beet seed, uh, green beans, some of that kind of stuff will, will last. Corn's in the middle, three or four years for it. Does it help if you've got a refrigerator? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Great question. Put your seed in a refrigerator. Put your Keep seed it refrigerated in a, yeah. or frozen? Make refrigerated. Refrigerated. Don't freeze them. I prefer not. But refrigerate your seeds. Yeah. Put them That's going to add a little life. Oh, certainly. Extend the right. life. Of That's what we do. Any bulk seed that <coughs> we excuse me, have left over goes in our cooler, goes in the um, uh, containers that uh, don't allow moisture in as well, plastic containers. Tupperware mm-hmm. uh, is the best if, if you're putting it. Or, of course, Ziploc bags. Mm-hmm. That's what you do to store your seed. Okay. Put it in there with the beer. And, uh, <laughs> and that could extend the life of, uh, of your seeds. Yeah, it oh. does. It improves the, uh, keeps the germination higher by keeping it at a constant uh, 40 degrees. Okay. What refrigerators do. So any of your seeds, flower seed, same thing. Mm-hmm. Vegetable seeds, right. all one of the same. Right. If you've got uh, some seed packets that are unopened at home, mm-hmm. toss them in the refrigerator mm-hmm. over the winter. In a Ziploc or, or Tupperware container. Okay. Okay. So there you go. Good advice. So folks, uh, take advantage of that. Uh, you know, we've got flower seeds that have been given to us, you know, in a little... Paper sack uh, uh-huh. bags. Right. Uh-huh. You do. Yeah, we've never thought about actually putting those in the refrigerator until now. So that's what we need to do. Man, I ought to be charging you for this show. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to do that next spring, what we're talking about, because we've got, I don't know, probably a dozen of these little <clears throat> bags of seeds. A uh-huh. little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Is just plant them all in a garden area next spring. And what fun! See what happens. Mm-hmm. Just see what comes up. The trick will be determining what's a weed and what's a flower early on. They all tend to look alike, so you'll soon find out, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah so get them in the Ziploc bag. Get them in there uh, behind your beer, and uh, you'll you'll be good for next year. Good to go. Mm-hmm. Good to go. Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center open seven days a week, both locations. Yes, sir. All right, 232-3416. Mm-hmm. And the other know. number is 862-1662. And Lynn and Cindy Holquist are there this weekend, and they can answer questions as well as as uh, everybody at our place. So. Yeah, in fact, I was out uh, at Lynn ago. and Cindy's last week, mm-hmm. last weekend, picked up some seed, so Great. grass seed, mm-hmm. so, yeah. You're in business then, huh? Beautiful location. Lynn, by the way, folks, has 
uh, a landscaping business as well. If you go out to 61st and Fairlawn, you're going to see what a professional landscaper can do. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But seven days a week, uh, check it out. And, folks, don't forget, each and every Wednesday in the Capitol Journal, that is the Jackson's Greenhouse and Garden Center ad. Dave, we will see you next Friday, my friend. That'll be great. Coming up Monday on the show, a good friend of yours is coming on, uh, Dave Heineman. Oh, good. And uh, we're going to be talking about this upcoming petition drive. Uh, I'm not sure Dave and I are going to be on the same page, but he is probably one of the, not. Yeah, <laughs> one of the spokespersons for this petition drive, uh-huh. and uh, so Dave is—he's uh, a good guy. He's very heavily involved. And if you have questions about this upcoming special election, you want to make sure that you're tuned in Monday at nine o'clock, and of course at eight o'clock you want to be tuned in for our regular guest, and that is Tim Richer, eight o'clock Monday morning. Folks, thanks so much for listening. Have a great, great weekend. We'll see you Monday. I'm Jim Cates.